0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg the
1: bottom of page 381
2: And this is the meaning of the statement of Seferi Regarding the ten sephira, the beginning is wet into in their end. And the scheme of the Sephora, the very beginning signifying a level that transcends even the, the head, is to be found in the culmination of the series to an even greater extent than in the head. Sephera of Rachma is variously termed the head. And the first the phrase is usually understood to mean the beginning of wisdom. It can also mean Chachmah is first. Machat is the last of the Seferat. The Seferat of Keter, which transcends the sefer of Chachmah, is termed the beginning. This beginning, then, which is called Keter, is wedged and is even more to be found in the end, Machat, than in the other Seferat, even Chachmah.
1: There's the first, which is the head. And then you have the end. Chachma is the head, is the first. Beginning of consciousness starts with Chachma, the creative spark. And then you have the end. It ends with Malchus, royalty. Speech, words, letters. So there's a huge distance between the beginning and the end like a linear line there's the beginning and there's the end the top and the bottom but the, the Kabbalah says it says in the book of Formation which was written by Avram Avinu first work of Kabbalah by Avram, says a very deep truth an insight that the beginning the end is wedged, is nailed into the beginning, and the beginning is wedged to the, nailed into the end. What is the beginning? The beginning refers to something that even precedes the first. The first is the head. Reish Chachma. Reish Chachma is the head. That's where the brains are. The head. What's on top of chacham? What's on top of the head? What goes on top of the head? Yeah. Crown. Crown. Mm-hmm. Keter. Keter is on top of the head, above the head. So the crown is connected to the end. Last week we learned that the kingdom, leadership, is the end. The very end, most external. The king is doesn't add anything to the king. You're a leader. You're not a leader. It doesn't you don't grow an extra finger. It doesn't the same brains you had before you'll have after. It's not, whatever's going on internally. Nothing changes. The king is head and shoulders above everyone else. As an individual. This is completely external to the king, to be a leader. To be coronated as king, to be a leader. Which is completely outside of him. It's not something he finds inside himself. It's not like his own brains and his own mind and his own heart and his own sensitivities and feelings. It's something that the people, the people choose him and crown him as their king, as their sabre. So it's completely external to the person. Just like speech is completely external to the person. You don't need speech for yourself. You're alone, you don't need speech. It doesn't add anything, it means nothing, it signifies nothing. It's completely external. It begins with the person outside of you. Words and letters. Words and letters are just lifeless. They're just words and letters. They're just vehicles that contain what you put inside of it. An idea, a concept, a feeling, an emotion. But in their own right, they're just vessels ready to receive. Formless, shapeless, whatever whatever you're just ready to receive and to convey, to communicate. Just transportation vehicles. Whatever you put inside, they're going to move along. It's completely external. And yet, comes this book of affirmation and tells us, comes the Kabbalah and tells us, That the very end is rooted, not in the head, in the beginning. That's even greater than the head. That's why it's the king who wears the crown. That's the sign of royalty, the crown. Because it comes from the deepest place. That's why the crown is on top of the head. Because yes, it's very external. Royalty. Communication. But the truth is, it comes from the deepest place. The need to communicate. It's so deep-seated. A person is self-sufficient. The brain, the head is self-sufficient. I don't need anyone. I can entertain myself. I can take care of myself. Where is this need to communicate? Where does that come from? Why does the musician need an audience? Why can't the musician sit at home, the windows locked, and just play? <laughs> he has music on his own. Why does he need an audience? And the bigger the musician, needs a bigger audience. Why? The money. Not just the money money is a reflection of how good he is uh, what a great audience he has but the greater the musician the greater the need for the audience the teacher why does the teacher need students just a teacher can sit with his books create intellectual breakthrough after intellectual breakthrough entertain himself why does he need students where does this need come from this need for relationships Where does this come from? This need for relationship is unique to human. Animals don't have that type of relationship. There's a deep-seated need for relationship. It's completely illogical. The brain doesn't dictate it. The brain doesn't demand it. On the contrary, the brain is self-sufficient. I don't need anyone. Why do I need a religion? I'm self-sufficient. People are distraction. <coughs> I enjoy my own company. I like to entertain myself. <laughs> I don't need anyone. Where is the deep-seated need for relationship? To connect. To communicate. And this is what drives us. So much so that in Hebrew... Man is called medaber. We're not called, in the Western dictionary, man is called rational animal. That's the highest praise of man. The highest form of man is we can imagine, we can think, unlike the animals. Yet in the Torah, in the Hebrew language, what's the greatest characterization of man? Not sikhli, which is our intellect, intellectual capacity. Medaber, to speak. Well, a parrot can also speak. It's not just speaking. It's the communication. It's the need to communicate. Where does that come from? This is above the head. This comes from the crown that transcends the head. It's my ability to transcend myself. It touches on something transcendent. The end reaches so deep. Not only it reaches the beginning, it surpasses the beginning. It reaches into the crown that's above the head, that transcends the head. It expresses something that's infinite. The whole hishtal shalut, beginning with wisdom, all the way from the from the head to the to the toe, that's linear. It's one level, diminishing to the next level, descending to the next level, to the next level, and there's a huge distance from there head, to the, to the bottom, of, tip of the toe. But when you say the head, when you say the beginning, you're talking about the beginning that transcends the head. You're talking about the crown that transcends the head. Because this ability to be king, this need to be king, this need to, speak, to communicate, this is so deep-seated, it transcends the, the head. The crown that hovers over the head, because it's infinite. It's an expression of something that's infinite. The fact that yes, it is something completely external, but it reflects something so deep. It reflects that I'm not finite and I'm not limited. I'm not compartmentalized. There's something within me that's truly limitless that can really connect with something outside of myself. And that's why speech, communication, is so powerful. When you put a concept into words, it's magnified a thousandfold. It's not just, it's disproportionate, it's explosive. the the fountains of wisdom open up as the Talmud says I learned a lot from my teachers more from my colleagues and even the most I learned from my students because when you have to communicate the fountains open up and and your your mind is able to understand things you would never ever in a million years able to understand sitting alone and just contemplating reflecting meditating that's the power of speech the power of communication because it touches the crown it touches something infinite it touches something divine, something godly, something transcendent so don't be fooled it may look to be at the end and the tip and the bottom but the truth is it's rooted and it's wedged at the beginning that precedes the head crown. That's why it's called the crown. So the crown is connected to the end, to the malchut. And as we learned last week, that's what triggers, that's why that's what triggers the, the essence. This is what triggers within the light and brings out that essential quality that the light conveys. And that's why it's the end, it's malchut. It has the capacity to create something from nothing, that triggers that essence within the light, the essence of Hashem, that novelty, that ability to create something new, that creative expression of Hashem, to create something from nothing, that can create an ego, create something that feels completely independent, disconnected. Because it's wedged and it's rooted in the beginning.
2: Well, keta is the mediator between the infinite emanator and the finite the, the
1: emanator em- and the emanated emanated, the emanated beings. beings.
2: And the lowest level of iron soap <laughs> is comprised in it. Every intermediary, such as in our case the of keta, must incorporate at least some aspect of both the levels. That it seeks to bridge. The aspect of infinite light contained in Kether is the lowest degree of Ein Sof. This level is the beginning, that level of Ein Sof that is wedged in the Sefer of Malchut. For as mentioned earlier, it is the Malchut that reveals the power of the Ein Sof to create Yesh from Ein.
1: So every intermediate has something from the higher level, something from the lower level. So Keter. The higher level of Kether, which is called Atik, pleasure, represents the infinite. And the lower level, arik represents the world of emanation. So when we say that the end is rooted in the beginning in Kether, we're talking about the higher level of Kether, The part of Kether that represents, reflects the infinite. And mauchot is an expression of it. So even though a crown seems to be so external, I'm wearing a crown, but it's the crown that represents royalty. A king sits with a crown over his head. (laughs) There's something, it's not, it, it appears to be external, but it's not, it's something very profound, it's something that, you know, expresses royalty, expresses, because it's the crown that really represents something that's transcendent and that can only be expressed in royalty, in leadership and royalty and precisely because it appears to be so external, really it's rooted in the deepest, deepest, most transcendent place. Where the king is not limited to himself, where he's able to connect. With something outside of himself. Just like speech, words, letters, speech, the ability to communicate, relationships, the need to communicate, the deep seated need to communicate, to have relationships. That comes from the deepest place. So it transcends the self. The self is self sufficient. But this is something of the infinite, it's not limited. And therefore, you're not even limited to yourself. You can transcend yourself. So when you make contact with the outsider, when you're leadership and you're a king over an outsider, over people who are separate from you, people who are lower than you, when you're communicating to someone outside of yourself, when you're putting it into words, into letters, it's rooted in the deepest, in the transcendent. And that's why it ignites something explosive, something powerful, something very profound, very intense. very
0: that is why the sphere of Kesar, meaning crown, is called Kesar Malkuth, the crown of sovereignty, as stated in the introductory passage to Tukhune Zohar, which begins with Patah Eliyahu. Supernal Kesar is Keter Malkuth, for a crown is only for a king, I, i.e. the prime function of the sphere of Kesar is to draw down the infinite Ein Sof light contained within it into the level of Malkuth.
1: So where is that infinite light revealed? As we learned last week, it's revealed in the sphere of Malchut, When Hashem is sovereign, when Hashem creates, when Hashem creates, speaks and creates and connects with something outside of Himself, so to speak, that's the ultimate expression of Hashem's transcendent self, His infinite self. That He's so infinite and undefined that He's not even limited being himself so to speak he can create something outside of himself
0: I thought last week we said that the Orin soul is a reflection of the Ein self. but now we're saying that, that the, the orange soul has this power to create
1: the Orin soul good question the Orin soul conveys that, that power only the essence of Hashem has the power to create Being that the Ur and Saf is a reflection of Hashem. So even though the Ur and Saf by definition, light by definition, endless Saf has no ending but has a beginning. And is the exact opposite of the essence which has no beginning. But being a true reflection and being completely nullified and being a true reflection, it conveys even that quality of having no beginning.
0: It's only
1: as a conduit.
0: As a conduit. It
1: doesn't do the creation. Uh, it doesn't, well, it's a conduit. So it's a reflection of Hashem. So it's a conduit and it contains it. And where is it triggered? It's triggered in the end. When it goes through, when it reaches the level of Malchut, that's what triggers That's what triggers it. Um, that's it.
0: This is at the highest level,
1: though. This is. Right. It triggers it in, in the Aryan Saf. So the Malchut contains within the Aryan Saf. Because the end is wedged in the beginning, which is the crown. That's why the crown is associated with royalty, with kingship, with leadership, which is the end. And in that crown, that crown represents something that's transcendent. And in that transcendence is to be found that ability, Hashem, the divine ability to create
0: Also, Kether is called Kether Malkuth because the final level of the Ainso is the Malkuth of Enso. Thus, Kether itself suggests the quality of Malkuth, but Malkuth is the lowest level of the Enso.
1: So not only is it the crown of the king of the end of the world of emanation, but really it is... The intermediate and it contains the infinite light, contains the lo- last level, so to speak, of the infinite light, which is the level of malchut of the infinite light. So it itself is also an expression of the attribute of malchut, of, of royalty. Because, you know, as the Rebbe said in the Maimer, tonight, tonight is Yud Shvat, tonight is the yard site of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe and the day that the Rebbe became Rebbe he assumed the leadership and in the first Hasidic discourse which um, which he said on the 10th of Shrat actually the night which will be the equivalent of tomorrow night um, assuming the leadership so he explains that in every level there's a malchut in every level malchut is, represents the Shechina, the revelation. So in every level, the lowest, the end of that level, the revelation of of that level, the communication of that level, the level of speech, the level that's called the Malchus, that's called the Shechina. So in comparison to the infinite light, there's the level of Shechina, which is the attribute of royalty within the infinite light that precedes the Temple. In the world of emanation. Malchut is the very end of the world of emanation. And Keter is the crown that's above the head, above wisdom, divine wisdom, supernal wisdom. But Keter, in relation to the higher world, in relation to the infinite light before the Tzimtzum, Keter, which is a reflection of the infinite, is is really the level of malchut, the lowest level of the infinite life. So that itself is is the level of malchut, of a higher world, the level of revelation, of Shekhinah, of a higher not of a higher world, of Hashem Himself, but Hashem's infinite life, so to speak. Whatever that means on that level. Obviously, it's talking a whole whole entirely different... uh, Meaning, we talk about malchus of the infinite light before the tzimtzum, versus when we talk about malchus, the end of the world of emanation. I'm not talking about a world beyond the world of emanation. There are no worlds. So you're talking about within the infinite light before the tzimtzum. But within the infinite light is also malchut. There's the lowest level. The Altar says elsewhere, it's like Hashem speaking to Himself. It's speech, but like someone speaking to himself. <laughs> when Hashem, you know, you know, um, imagined all the worlds and for himself, but whatever it is, that is the end of the lowest level of the speech and words and communication within the infinite, light, within Hashem Himself, within Hashem's infinite self. That becomes the keter. That becomes the crown of the world of, of the world of emanation. So. This kethad is also a reflection of royalty, of a higher level of royalty. Of the level of royalty within the infinite light itself.
0: Consequently, Malfur of a Tziru, too, is called kethad. When the spheroids are considered in ascending order.
1: So you have two ways. You have two ways of looking. You have what we call the straight light. You have the reflective light, the bouncing light. You throw a ball, the ball bounces back. There's an echo. The bouncing light, which explains why the lower levels on Earth, like a dead sea, the lowest level on Earth, is hotter than the higher elevated levels on Earth. Logically, you would think the higher places should be warmer, closer to the sun. (laughs) Why are the lower places hotter? They're further away from the sun. The answer is because the heat comes from the Bouncing light. it's the light that bounces off. That's why space is black is dark. Why is space dark? <laughs> we can see light and they can't see light. There's no light in space. It's the light that bounces back. It's the heat that bounces back. That's what gives us heat. So the closer you are to the end, you get much more you get light and you get much more intense. light you get heat from that point of view, from the point of bouncing back, the end actually becomes the source, becomes the beginning. And that's the force that bounces back. It reflects back. So in that sense, malchus is the end, but that becomes the beginning. (laughs) That's the force. when, When you hit the end, that's when it comes right back in full force. So when you reach the end, that point becomes the beginning of the bounce. bounces back. So the malchus becomes the keter, becomes the crown, becomes the source.
0: From this perspective, looking upward, malchus, the lowest sephira, is termed Kesser in relation to the higher Sefira. This is so because malchus is the primary re- receptor for the downflow of Keser, which then illuminates the higher sphere of, by means of ur reflected light, like a beam of light that travels earthward through space, strikes the surface, and rebounds with renewed intensity. The above concerns the ability of multiple <coughs> to manifest the power of ein in creating Yesh from and to enable created beings to perceive themselves as, en- as entities distinct from their creator, for this very reason, however, this creative ability cannot be considered a revelatory aspect of the Ein Sof light. Rather, it demonstrates its capacity to seal. The Alterevi therefore, now goes on to discuss ways in which Malkuth serves to reveal this light. Souls, for example, though divine, descend nevertheless within the limitations of created beings. By virtue of its revelatory aspect, Malkuth is called Alma the Itzal Galia the manifest world but through the sphere of Malchut the Ein Sof Light is revealed within the world
1: we learned last week that Malchut we referred to Malchut as the revelation revelation of Hashem the revelation of Godliness the revelation of Hashem's creative ability so even though Malchut is the end the Malchut is about concealing but it's not just about concealing it also reveals you know, Usually we refer to Malchut as the cover-up, as compartmentalization and the differentiation and the words and letters that differentiate and limit the divine energy. But he said that really it's the ultimate revelation, it's the ultimate revelation of Hashem's creative ability, of the essence, to create something from nothing. So malchut is not just a cover-up, a concealment. Malchut actually is also the ultimate revelation of Hashem. And the very essence of Hashem. So, so, that explains why the souls, the souls of the Jewish people, which the Jewish people are called Bnei elachim princes, the children of kings because our souls come from the divine attribute of the divine royalty so that's why the Jewish souls are revelations of godliness yes, they are souls that are created and, and clothed in a physical flesh and blood in a body and limited but on the other hand they are lights the Jewish souls are lights Compared to the stars, we light up the darkness where every Jewish soul is a revelation of godliness, a breath of fresh air, a revelation of godliness in this darkness that illuminates this darkness. And that's why it's called a birth. It's a revelation. A birth is a revelation. A birth is an expression of something infinite, the ability to give birth, the ability to create something that will outlive you and outlast you and something that's eternal Um, This is a revelation. So yes, Malchus is the source of all created beings, including the souls that are created. But it's not just a concealment, it's actually a revelation. It's a birth, a revelation of God. an opening. That's the definition of birth. There's an opening. Opening of the womb and a revelation. A revelation of Godliness.
3: This is especially so since through Malkut the creation of souls take place, enabling them to be yesh and separate entities in the world of Riyadh. And notwithstanding, they are becoming a yesh. They will (coughs) retain their aspect of Godliness. While yet in Atzilut, souls have no sense of being a yesh, since they are entirely nullified to godliness. Upon entering the world of Burya, however, they perceive themselves as being distinct and substantive creatures. Notwithstanding this, they remain godly and godly entities and draw down godliness within the worlds. These derivation of souls from Malchut, is termed leida, birth, a process that requires the intervention of a higher power emanating from the Ainsop, like the splitting of the Red Sea, which, as stated in the Zohar, depended on atik. Atik, related to neetap, implying removal, and separation from the created world is the inner i.e. higher level of Keter, whose outer, i.e. the lower level, is termed Arif. Atik is the final degree of the Aimsoth. Arif is the source and root of emanated beings. The Kabbalah te- teaches that <coughs> the birth of souls is comparable to the sti- splitting of the Red Sea and like it requires the power of the Aimsoth as found in Atik. The Alte Rebbe now explains that the infinite power is needed not only for the birth of the souls, but for their gestation
1: as well. So all of creation is really, it's a godly act, all of creation. Creating something from nothing is a purely divine, miraculous act. But creation by definition, the world by definition is called olam. It comes from the word halem. Godliness is hidden and concealed. You don't see, you don't sense. Completely hidden and concealed. It blocks, it hides. But then you have a miracle, a splitting of the sea, which is not natural, where the, what's formerly hidden, submerged underwater, now suddenly becomes overt, obvious, <clears throat> self-evident, transparent, tangible. Where godliness becomes tangible. That's a miracle. That comes as a result, the greatest miracle in the Torah, that comes as a result of a divine revelation. The splitting of the sea was a result of a divine, divine a very high level. As we just uh, just read today, today's Torah portion, that's what we're reading, by divine providence. Parshat B'Shalach, that there was an eastern wind, Ruach Kadim. Ruach Kadim means a revelation that comes from Hashem, who's Kadim, who's first, who precedes everything, who's the ultimate reality. So there was a revelation of godliness that caused the splitting of the sea, that the that that the what's formerly hidden should be completely revealed and overt. And the same is with the birth of the Jewish soul. The birth of the Jewish soul it's a birth. You know, the splitting of the sea was the climax of the Exodus from Egypt, which was the birth of the Jewish people. It was giving birth, bringing into this world a new people, a different type of people, not just another nation. You know, God didn't need another seat in the UN. It's a different a different type of nation, a godly nation, a holy nation. Different type of, uh, you know, different type of... And... Um, so this, was, this comes about through, this what we call a birth, meaning an opening, an opening from within, a revelation of something that's within and is revealed. So yes, the child is born and the child is independent and the child is overt, but the child is still connected to its parents in a very deep way. So too the souls of the Jewish people were born into this world into the body flesh and blood but they still remain very deeply attached and connected to the source so that's why it's not just a creation it's a birth yes there's a separation you cut the umbilical cord there is a separation and the child is independent but the child is very much connected.
2: Is that a new soul in every child that didn't exist before?
1: Whether the soul is reincarnated, no. We're all most of us, 99.99% of us, are all reincarnated from earlier. But it doesn't matter. It's still the soul. Originally, the soul is was was born. The souls were not created. The souls were born. Born represents a revelation who are intrinsically connected and that's why the, uh, the child first gestates in the mother's womb for nine months a malchus is also called, it's the mother's womb, it's called the ima, the mother, the lower mother that's the womb in which the soul has to go through a, a nine month gestation period so it's not just creation it's not just something external speech and something external, it comes from within, it's, it's, it's and it, so it's with nine months of gestation within the world, in the mother's womb. There's no separation there. It's completely one with the mother. It eats what the mother eats, and it's nourished by it through the mother. It's one with the mother. So the, every, so the soul first originates into the world of divine emanation. It's completely inseparable and one with Hashem. It has to go through this nine-month gestation period. And then... And the womb opens and the child emerges as independent, as a separate being. But still, because the child went through that gestation period, and the child is part, very much part and parcel of the parents. So even when the child is separate, the child remains connected. Connected at the hip, connected, so deeply connected. So therefore, the souls are like revelations, the revelations of godliness, the purpose of the soul. The soul was born, not just created. Because the soul is essentially an entity, not an entity, the soul is essentially a part of the world of emanation, the divine world of emanation. And then then it was born and separated, but retaining that deep, deep core connection. And that's why our main mission in life is to bring light godly light godliness into this darkness to reveal Hashem to reveal godliness and how do we reveal godliness by connecting and by seeing that connection when no one else sees that connection everyone looks at this world all religions look at this world say look this world is so dark this world is so ridiculous absurd might as well quit while you're behind it's just one big maya one big illusion if you have any doubt just listen to the politicians and (laughs) some fantasy delusional world that they live in shockingly but so you look at this world the ego, the arrogance, the, 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 the distortions, the superficiality, the lies, the crooked thinking, the the, the superficial thinking, the foolishness, and you, can, and you come completely disillusioned. <clears throat> the Jew looks at the same reality as we're learning in this letter, and, and the Jew is in awe. The Jew says, "Wait." You don't get it? Where does this come from? Where does this absurdity come from? Where does ego come from? Do you realize how godly it is? Do you realize how this is the ultimate revelation, the ultimate expression of the very core essence of Hashem? It's the ultimate revelation of something that has no beginning. Something that's so completely inexplicable, completely astonishing, something that doesn't exist not only in this world, it doesn't even exist in the higher realms, even in the infinite light, which is a light, which is completely dependent and has a source. The idea that there's no source and there's no reason and there's no origin, where does it it even come from? How is it even possible? It can only come from the very essence of Hashem. So we see connections everywhere. (laughs) Where everyone else, Everything appears to be on the surface if we completely disconnected. the Jew sees connections everywhere. We see godliness in everything. We're breathing. What a miracle. We don't take anything for granted. On Shabbat, you take a walk. It's a mitzvah. You take a nap. It's a mitzvah, especially when the rabbi speaks. <laughs> it's a bigger mitzvah. <laughs> whatever you do, every natural activity, whatever you do, Suddenly, you, realize, you make connections. You realize that nature is the greatest miracle. It's not a cover-up. The cover-up itself is the greatest revelation. Be- that's the idea of birth. A Jewish soul is not just a, a creature like any other creature. It's not just another creature that Hashem created with His speech. Angels were created through Hashem's speech, but a, a Jew was born like a birth. That's what the Torah says, you're my children. Not in the physical sense, but in the sense that you are really come from the world of divine and the world of emanation. You're inseparable. You're completely one. Because you're rooted in Malchus, in the divine, in the divine womb, so to speak. And by the soul gestating for nine months, and then there's the opening and the revelation. Yes, the separation, but a child is connected and sees connections everywhere. In the smallest thing, the seemingly insignificant thing, a Jew sees a connection to Hashem. And the tiniest drop we see, the whole sun is reflected in the tiniest drop, just like it's reflected in the whole entire ocean. And the tiniest, seemingly insignificant detail, a Jew sees Hashem. Every detail of our lives we see Hashem. Every aspect of our life, every moment of our life, every breath we take. 24-7. So it's like that paradox. We're part of the world. We're very much flesh and blood. Very much down to earth. Very much grounded. But on the other hand, we're connected. No one else sees connections. And to us, it's like so clear. We don't understand why no one else sees it. You don't see Hashem. We don't see. That's why a Jew says, You ask a Jew, every second word, Baruch Hashem, thank God this, and thank God that, and thank God... It's so much part of our language. We see the connections everywhere. Our health, our success, everything we have, we see Hashem. And no one knows what we're talking about. And to us, it's so clear, it's so crystal clear, it's so obvious, it's so... That's what distinguishes. The Jew is not created, the Jew is born. That's the significance of the birth of the soul. This is a revelation. Like the splitting of the sea, it's a revelation. It's transforming the concealment into a, a revelation.
3: Also, the whole growth of the soul throughout <laughs> the seven months from the union, meaning, as I read, until the birth of the seventh day of Pesach, it is taught in Kabbalah that the union that conceives souls Takes place on Shmini Atzeret, while the birth of souls takes place on the seventh day of Pesach, at the time of the crossing of the Red Sea.
1: So that's why we dance, you know, in, in Shmini Atzeret in Israel. That's their Simchas Torah, you know. We have some Torah the next day, but we dance on Simchas Torah and Shmini Atzeret. It's such a joyful day. Because and our customers even here we dance in Shemini Yatzeris as well. Because the High Holiday is a time that we recreate the marriage, the relationship between the Jewish people and Hashem. And it all reaches a climax with Simchas Torah. Because the marriage, what's the climax of the marriage? What's the It begins with the courting and the dating and then the the proposition and then the acceptance of the proposition and then the chuppah and then and then the uh, wedding celebration and the wedding feast but what's the climax the moment of intimacy when the husband and wife are alone that's when the wedding really begins that's called Simchas Torah that's why a Jew in Simchas Torah physically dances with the Torah you become intimate with Hashem as an intimacy every fiber of our being every bone in our body become completely one with Hashem and that gives birth to Beresh's Bara to a brand new world. When the Jew and Hashem are one, we give birth. So this is the conception. That's why that's, that's the moment of conception. And then, it's a seven months later, but depends how you count it. You count a little of, this, of the month of Tisha, right? Then you have Cheshven. So that counts for a whole month. You have Cheshven, Kislev, Tevash, Shvat, Adar, and Nisan the splitting of the sea the Shvi Yishal which is the 21st of the month of Nisan so that's like seven months it's not complete seven months but it's um, a little of this month and a, little, a little in the beginning a little at the end and you have five complete months so together that's seven months so it's a quick quick, la- quick birth um, not premature but quick birth seven months and that's the birth that's the splitting of the sea that's the birth of the soul. That's the result of the conception, of the conceiving, as a result of the intimacy that took place in Shmini And then the birth of the soul, which is a revelation. The womb opens up and there's a revelation. The child is born. The, the birth of the child is the ultimate revelation because it's, 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 something, it's something infinite. The idea that we who are finite can give birth could create something that's really infinite because the child gives birth in turn and and it goes on and on forever and ever. Well, like a link in a chain that goes on and on forever and ever. That we're part of this eternal dance. That we're part of eternity and we have the ability to convey that eternity. A link in that eternity and to convey and to pass on that eternity be transmitted forever and ever and ever to the end of this is a revelation of the infinite, this is a revelation of God. And again, the Jew sees in something
0: mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> that seems to be so ordinary, you know, okay, giving birth, having a child, I mean, that's what happens, that's what, that's what people do, that's what everyone does. And yet, when you're connected, you see in that, you see how godly it is, how infinite it is, how astonishing it is, how, how incredible, astounding, mind-boggling that we who are finite have that ability, the God-given ability to, especially the woman, malchut, feminine, has that ability to, by receiving and then allowing the child to develop, to gestate and to develop in the mother's womb and then to give birth to this child. This is an astounding revelation of something greater, of something transcendent, of something infinite in this world. And that's something you don't have in the upper world. You only have it in this world. So, so this is all part of that that revelation, that godly revelation that takes place on the, se- on the seventh day of Pesach, which is the birth, the splitting of the sea and the birth, and that revelation of godliness, which, as a result, was expressed in the splitting of the sea, in the miracle of the splitting of the sea, which was a consequence, a symptom of this intense revelation of godliness that took place on that day and that takes place every <coughs> year on that day.
2: Resembles the growth of Zun, the seferit of Zah and Malchur of Atzilut, that were formerly concealed in the womb of Ima Ila, supernal mother, in the innermost degree of Vina of Atzilut. This takes place by means of the supernal aura of Ima Ila and of yet higher as far as the Ainsop which vests itself in the Bina in order to bring about the growth of Zun through, through, throughout the nine or seven months of pregnancy. Just as Zun of Atsila is delivered from Bina of Atsila, known as Ima Ila, the Supernal Mother, so too do souls gestate in Malfur, which is known as Ima Tata, the nether Mother since machot incorporates within itself the supernal or behind self,
1: so. you have the, the uh, higher mother, you have the lower mother, the higher mother is also gives birth, which is bina, also gives birth to the emotions. But that's more like a very spiritual birth. It's when the, uh, the, the idea, the chachma, the concept, then gestates in the bina, in the comprehension, and it's fully fleshed out and fully formed, then that gives birth to full-fledged emotion. So it also has to go through that procedure. The chachma is the the masculine, and the, the bina is the mother, that's the higher mother, supernal bina, which gives birth to emotions. Which, in comparison to the intellect, it's like you need to give birth. It's like a jump because in the world of intellect there are no emotions. The world of intellect is beyond emotion. It's understanding the idea. It's, 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 it's very, it all a, takes place within yourself, very deep inside of yourself. Emotions in relation to those outside of you. To relate to something outside of you. To love and to fear and have compassion, to feel compassion. This is, in comparison to the intellect, these are like the children that the intellect gives birth to the, to the child, which is like a leap. So it has to go through this whole process of the masculine giving to the feminine and then allowing it to gestate and allowing it to develop in the mother's womb. And then there's the opening and there's the birth, and that gives birth to the emotion.
3: And it
1: also splits the water, splits the baby. Right, right. So it gives birth to, to the emotions. And then, in the emotions, then you have the emotions, which are the masculine, and then malchus, which is the feminine. That's the lower mother. And when you combine those two, and then it allows to gestate within the lower mother in the womb, so to speak, of the divine attribute of royalty, then that gives birth to the souls, that gives birth to separate beings, to the souls, who are separate entities, spiritual, spiritual, entities, with separate entities, but nevertheless, they are children, and princes, and remain connected. And their whole purpose is to reveal godliness in this physical, material world, to be lights.
2: The same is true of the creation of the souls and angels in the world of Berea. They too result from the supernal orot of the Ein Sof that are drawn down into Malkhut of The Altar Rebbe now goes on to state that these supernal orot of the Ein Sof that descend into Malkhut of Atzilut not only make possible the birth and gestation, but are also responsible for the actual conception.
0: Also, the very essence and root of the seminal drop which Malkhut receives and through which she is impregnated by Zaire and the derives from the Mokhan of Abba and Ima, literally the father and mother, i.e. Kokma and Vina, respectively. And with every conjunction of Kokman and which is intended to bring about a birth, there issues forth the Abba and Ima, the seminal drop from Arab Antin and Atik Yoman, and from even higher up to the einso. Everything is concealed, though, in the Mokhan until the nook gives birth to, i.e. until Malkuth reveals the soul and the angels and the hetelot for the world of Raya. When
1: you say zivog, when you say that there's been a, uh, a coupling together, intimacy between the masculine and the feminine, that's in order to reveal a new light, a deeper light, to give birth to something new. There is the way Hashem creates the world, the way Hashem emanates from Himself, and that's expected light. There's nothing new. But whenever you want to draw down something new, like giving birth, you're drawing down something new. So you need a new infusion of energy. So it comes from a very, very deep place. So... The infusion of the zivo, the coupling, and the infusion of the coming and the coming together of the masculine and the feminine, withdraws down from a very deep place. This, this, the 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 semen, the, the seed, draws down from a very deep place, the deepest place within within you, to reveal something new, to create something new. So so, see, even the the insemination, even the seed, is a revelation of something of the infinite is bringing something, introducing something new into the, into the world. And then that draws down the infinite light that allows for the gestation. And then the birth itself. The birth itself is the ultimate revelation. And the ultimate drawing down of the infinite light. So, so everything is concealed He says, until the actual moment of birth, when the actual souls and angels are created.
0: Hence, by means of the gestation and birth, there is truly a revelation of the infinite Ein Sof light. Not only is the infinite power of Ein Sof drawn down to Malfur to bring about yet, in addition, the Ein Sof light is actually revealed by means of the gestation and birth of souls. By virtue of this role... Malkhut is termed Alma de its, in addition to its role in drawing down the power of godliness in a concealed manner within creation.
1: A lot of Kabbalah today.
2: <laughs> we don't, we seem to live our lives, we're not in unison with these souls.
1: What do you mean we are the souls?
2: No, but we don't live, these souls are is a perfect creation of God and we don't, we don't live that way.
1: You so say, you're saying this? we're not in touch with our soul.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What's the soul doing during this lifetime of uh, pleasure and joy and everything?
1: soul is crying. Huh? <laughs> the soul is crying.
2: <laughs> but we don't hear it.
1: Uh, the soul is in pain. soul is in anguish. Um, actually, that would explain why those moments when you do feel tremendously inspired when you're praying and suddenly you're inspired when you're studying Torah and your soul is on fire when you're doing a mitzvah and you're on fire when you do an act of goodness and kindness and tzedakah and chesed you know that explains why when you do something selfless and you do something good you feel like a million dollars because your soul is coming to life your soul feels at home you, soul, you walk into Shul, your soul feels at home.
2: Sounds like our soul is our... A, is a, what's the word? Conscience.
1: Absolutely. Exactly. You walk into Shul, you feel at home. You join a Hasidic Fabringen. Let me remind you, tomorrow we're going to have a grand Fabringen in honor of Yud Shvat. The, uh, the previous Rebbe's yard said, the day the Rebbe became Rebbe, 7.15 be Meyer, 7.30 Fabrengan, and dinner sponsored by Leibel Levy, so you come to Fabrin, you come alive. When, you, when you, you're davening, you feel at home. You're home. You're studying Torah, you're at home. You're in the royal palace.
2: Including the Tanya class.
1: Absolutely. And that's why when you study Tanya, you really feel at home. You, you, the crown jewels of the Torah doesn't get more home. More, you're in the palace, in the royal palace, in the royal bedroom. And that explains why a Jew gets excited in Simchas Torah. Which sane, rational person. You're jumping up and down with the Torah. You're not making any money. You're not, you're not in Disney World. You're jumping up and down with the Torah. The Torah tells you don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do that and don't do the other. And 365 restrictions and, and <laughs> if you do this, you're going to get stoned. If you do this, you're gonna And here you're dancing and jumping up and down. can't be the little, the little uh, herring or the... Piece of cake. I mean, what, what are How you getting? The vodka. <laughs> yeah. Even the vodka. You, you know, if you go in the, around the corner in the Second Avenue Bar, I'm sure the vodka is much better. What, I mean, it, can, it has to be. Why? It doesn't make sense. But that's our Nishama speaking. It's our Nishama talking. That is who we are. We just forget. We're forgetful. We have Alzheimer's. We forget. We, 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 we get we get uh, distracted. Our egos. We get distracted. we get get carried away you forget but the moment the moment you have an opportunity to connect you come alive you feel energized you're rejuvenated so the soul is there and the soul has a life of its own don't think for a moment that The superficial life that we claim as our own is our real life. It's our most superficial self. Many times foolish self. This foolish persona that we create and we think that this is me. Nothing could be further than the truth. It's not who you are. You're deluding yourself into thinking that this is who you are. You're not fooling anyone. It's not who you are. Scratch a little, you don't even have to go far, just a little, a little beneath the surface. A whole different person, a whole different persona, a whole different reality. It's a living, breathing reality. The Neshama is a living, breathing reality. That's the true reality. That's our true reality. As much as we try to cover it up, it doesn't help us. That's why Jews are so guilt ridden, because you can't cover it up. You can try. But it doesn't get you too far. You know, something eats away at you. You're agitated. You're angry. And you act out. You may even do outrageous things. Because you don't feel comfortable. That's why you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. There's no one on the earth like Jews in that way who don't feel comfortable in their own skin when was the last time you met a self-hating Irishman self-hating Italian only Jews they feel so uncomfortable in their own skin that they have to demonstrate to the whole world that they're more anti-Semitic than the worst anti Semit. and say the most outrageous things against the Jewish people against their own brothers and sisters as the Jewish ambassador just spoken today or yesterday. Outrageous blood libels. This, this would make Hitler proud, the type of lies and blood libels against the Jewish people uh, coming from a Jew, so to speak, an Orthodox Jew.
2: Which
1: ambassador? That's that. To Israel. So, and this, is, this is only someone who's so uncomfortable in his own skin who has to go out of his way, bend over backwards to hang out with The wrong crowd, and to show the whole world that we can be more true-hating than the rest of the world, and we can attack and accuse and the, uh, and besmirch and the Jew more than anyone else. But this is uniquely Jewish. So it's all that Jewish soul. That Jewish soul is so alive, it has a life of its own. It's not going anywhere. As much as we try to dry drown it out, it's helpless. It doesn't work. It doesn't, there's nothing we can do. And on the contrary, deep down, it just becomes more intense, becomes stronger and stronger. That's why you have this phenomenon of hundreds of thousands of young Jews, who, do to no fault of their own, have been cut off from anything Jewish for three generations, and they've found they've come back home. They found the Judaism with a vengeance. Where did this come from? You were cut off for three generations. You were intermarried. You were cut off. You had no idea, no clue. You even despised it, even hated it. You were taught to to suspect it and to run away from it. and, And yet, you've come back with a vengeance. Where did that come from? That just tells us the Jewish soul has a life of its own. It's a living, breathing. Reality that's so plugged in and so connected. It's so there. It's so easy to get in touch with. It's just right there. Right here, right in front of us. And there's nothing that will make us happy. There's nothing that will make us whole and complete. But there's only one thing you need to do you got to get your ego out of the way. <laughs> that, that's, that's the spoiler. That spoils everything. All it takes is to put one little finger in front of your eyes and you black out the whole world. This beautiful world is right in front of you. Suddenly you become blind, deaf, and dumb. And the world becomes a very dark place very quickly.
2: Sounds like Hashem didn't create the ego. We, we created it.
1: Oh, Hashem did create the ego, but ego could be a very powerful tool. But when you take ego and face value, then it just creates darkness. But the good news is, it's just as easy as it is to block out the whole world, it's easy to remove that finger. You just have to remove that finger. And in one instant, everything is revealed to you. It's all clear. It's right there, right in front of you. You don't have to go far, you don't have to go anywhere. Just remove remove the blinder. That's up to us. That's where our freedom of choice comes in. That's how Shem waits for us. That we have to do. That he's not gonna do for us. He could. But he's waiting for us. You know, yes, he could split the Hudson, he could split the East River for us, I'm sure. That would be very dramatic. But now he's waiting for us to remove the blinders. That's what he did with the ten plagues in Egypt. It wasn't just to beat them at the submission, could have fast forwarded and started with the little tenth and last plague. It was to educate, to reveal, to remove the blinders for then and forever. He made a one-time demonstration. He I'm not going to do this every, every year. I'm going to do this one time. Pay attention. Learn the lesson. Get the message. And now I want you to remove your own blinders. It's so much more meaningful and more permanent, more everlasting. If we do it and we choose to do it on our own with everything that we know today in science and physics, it's so easy to remove the blinders and to see the godly and the miraculous and the astonishing and astounding reality we call nature existence, and to see Hashem. So the Nishama is... Nishama, we're wearing the Nishama in our sleeves. Nishama is so accessible today. That's why society has to get louder and louder. The music has to get louder and louder. People have to completely drug themselves out, numb themselves out. 500 channels and nothing to watch. Because if you stop for one moment, you were silent just for one moment. You couldn't help but sense godliness, sense the truth. It's so self-evident, it's so obvious, it's so tangible, it's, it's right in front of our eyes. It's an effort to wear those blinders today. You really have to make a big, 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 giant effort to put on those blinders and to pretend that there's nothing godly or miraculous and astonishing about it all of this you really have to work very hard <laughs> it takes an inordinate amount of energy to maintain this distortion just stop working so hard <laughs> just put, remove your finger and it's right here as the Rebbe says Moshiach is ready to come it's right here it's right here you just have to open your eyes remove the blind it's at our doorstep ready to open the door the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe is ready to walk through the door. Ready. Everything is ready. Mashiach is ready to walk through the door. We just have to lift up that pinky. That's all that's all that's being asked of us. A little. A little sincerity, a little effort, a little sacrifice. Lift up a pink. So it's all we have to do at this point. To be continued.